Welcome to Insurance Made Simple. I'm your host, Peter Vitale, and this is episode 20, in which we're gonna spend a lot of time talking about life insurance. I know in the past uh, episodes, we've focused a lot about the economy and about auto insurance and home insurance, but I was thinking as I started to prepare this week to record this podcast about life insurance, and I thought a lot about my own personal situation And that's really kind of what I wanted to talk to you about and really see the benefits of obtaining life insurance as a young person, which is sort of counterintuitive, you would think. But by the end of this episode, you're going to figure out why that makes the most sense strategically. We're going to look at other things and we're going to talk even a little bit about, you know, the life insurance you get from your job in place of employment. Let's talk about that. Is that adequate? Is that sufficient? What are the risks of losing that coverage should you change jobs? So we'll talk about that a bit. Um, And we'll talk about kind of um, what we're seeing in the life insurance industry right now. And I think this is probably, and I think this is, you know, once you start to think about it, going to be very logical. We're at a point in time over the past four years Um, three years maybe, that people have thought about life insurance more than they normally would. And that is very obvious due to the COVID-19 pandemic, right? That we've thought about that a lot. People are sick. People have died. We think about life insurance. And I think the key here is to understand, let's just break down a couple facts, right? And this is a fact that someone told me many, many years ago when I first started in the insurance industry because I had a friend at the time and he basically said, Peter, I think life insurance is really a Ponzi scheme, right? You got money coming in and then, you know, they use that to pay the people out. And, you know, what happens if enough people aren't buying life insurance is their money to pay out the people in the end. First of all, let's just debunk that real quick because, right, obviously insurance is a regulated industry, right? We have 50 state departments of insurance that regulate the industry tightly, get the financial results, and make sure that the carriers that are writing these policies and issue these policies have the financial resources and the means to pay the policies when the time is necessary. So, but let's think about this. So I I started thinking about that and I was like, well, it's interesting. And then I started to think, how do life insurance companies make money then, right? I mean, they've got to be charging really high amounts of premium to be able to pay off all these life policies. And then I came to the statistic that the average person, the average American, buys seven life insurance policies in their lifetime. Seven. That's a lot of life insurance policies, right? The issue is they don't keep them. And that's how the life insurance companies make money. Yeah, they proactively manage the investment, you know, manage the the money they're holding and and they make a return on that. Absolutely. Sure. But fact of the matter is, if you're paying into a policy and they don't pay out on it, that's money they're keeping. It's easy, right? They're taking the money. They're not paying the death benefit because the policy cancels prior to someone dying. Now, why does that happen? Happens for a variety of reasons, right? It could be you purchased a term life insurance policy that is only, you know, the policy term is a fixed number of years. Maybe it's 10 years, maybe it's 20 years, maybe it's 30 years. And if you don't die within that period of time, there is no benefit. There's nothing paid out. 
And that makes sense because it's a lower cost than a policy that's going to last until you die, no matter what. There's less risk. The price comes down. It's more affordable, which is great. And for the average American family, maybe it makes sense. I don't know. You know, but think about it, right? If you're buying a house and, you know, you're paying a mortgage every month, eventually the house comes paid off and, you know, you work every day, you put some money in your retirement account and you have money when you're ready to retire. So, you know, if you, God forbid, die, you know, prematurely, you have savings that, you know, your family can use in the event of your death and, you know, you have that savings and you, you know, you paid down your house and you paid down your house. So now, boom, you know, you're not in that bad of a financial situation should something happen to you. But, but that situation doesn't always work for everybody, right? People die very prematurely, right? It's just a fact of the matter is it is what it is. We see it. People die in car accidents every day. People die in, in tragedies every day. It's a crazy world we live in, but it, it is nothing more critical. There is nothing more important than making sure that you are prepared to take care of your family if something happens to you. Nobody buying life insurance cares about life insurance because when they need it, they're already dead when it's used. What they care about isn't life insurance. What they care about is their family. They want to make sure that their family is provided for, right? Mom, dad, parents, whoever, right? They, their children depend on them for survival. If you're not making sure that you have the financial resources necessary, if something happens to you to continue your child's survival, you need to buy life insurance. Even if you do have enough, I would argue that you need to buy life insurance. And someone would say, how much life insurance should I buy, Peter? And I would say, everyone's situation is going to depend on how old you are, depends on how much money you make, what your expenses are, how much debt you have, how many kids you have, what kind of lifestyle you live, and what kind of lifestyle your family's accustomed to. So there is no right or wrong answer. But for simplicity, I think we should use the number of 10 times your annual income. So if you make 100 grand a year, you should have a million dollars in life insurance. I think that is kind of at least the minimum you should have. Now, right, as your savings grow and you say, all right, Peter, you know, I'm 65 now and, you know, I've got $900,000 in, you know, my brokerage account and my 401k. Do I still need that? And I'd say, well, maybe not. I mean, now we got to look at the other factors. We got to look at your lifestyle. We got to look at, you know, how much money you spend a year, how much money your family's going to continue to spend. Does your spouse work? Do you have a spouse? Do you have kids? So it's an individualized need. Okay. So let's look at it that way. But now let's also look at why should we get life insurance early in life? Because I think that's really one of the critical things that most of us are doing wrong in society today is that we're not purchasing life insurance at young ages. We're getting to the point where people are towards the middle of their lives, let's say, and then they start thinking and looking at their financial situation and say, you know, I've got this $100,000 policy from work, but that's not really enough. Can I get life insurance now? And let me just simply tell you why 
you need to be proactive here. And that is when you lock in a life insurance policy, you can lock in the rate you pay for the rest of your life based on your health today. And this sounds kind of crazy because you say, Peter, I'm healthy. Nothing's going to happen to me, right? We all think that. We all think that. And let's knock on wood. I hope nothing bad happens to you. I hope nothing bad happens to me, obviously. But hope isn't a really effective strategy. We need to be prepared. And so I'm going to venture into a little bit, and I don't do this very often on this podcast, but I'm going to venture into a little bit of my personal life right now and tell you, you know, I've been in the insurance industry for a long time. And I'll just be very candid and share personal details with you, right? Today, I'm 36 years old, which I hope everyone will agree is still fairly young. But I've had life insurance for quite some time now. And the reason I've had life insurance for quite some time now is because I understood the value proposition of life insurance because I'm in the life insurance industry. I'm in the insurance industry. I'm around people who are knowledgeable about insurance. But I also benefited from the advice that they gave me many, many, many years ago when I got into this industry and told me you should lock this in now, Peter, because you don't know what could happen. And I remember someone told me a story that, you know, their husband, and at the time this person was maybe 10 years older than me and I was in my mid-20s, you know, she was telling me her husband had skin cancer. And it was not, it was a very, very mild case of skin cancer, right? You know, it's not, you know, I don't want to say it's not serious, but it certainly wasn't terminal. It certainly, you know, it was easy to solve. Easy as far as cancer goes, obviously. Not easy and like, you know, this is really simple and no big deal, but you get the point. And that affected, that small amount of skin cancer affected his ability to get life insurance at his age and he hadn't bought enough previously. So this person was telling me, lock it in while you're young. It makes sense. It could be something as, you know, I don't want to say not serious because that's not the message, but in terms of like disease and illness, right? Skin cancer, small, small case of skin cancer is not really that serious and not terminal. So in the, you know, she's explaining to me, lock it in because even if something small like this happens, you may not be able to get as much life insurance as you want, or it's going to cost you a heck of a lot more than you would pay for it today. And so I did. I, I locked in life insurance, and over the next five or six years after that point, I locked in more and more and more of it because I was a young guy and I was healthy, and why not? I want to lock in the lower rate, and I know that I'm, I'm not wasting any money because, and this may be, you know, somewhat, you know, the least profound thing I, I say on this podcast, right? We're all going to die. I mean, sad to say, and we don't want it to happen, but we're all going to die. So this isn't wasted money because someone is going to get the life insurance payout when I die, right? If I die prematurely, maybe it's my parents. If I die, you know, in the middle point of my life, maybe it's my spouse or my kids. And if I die towards the end of my life and, you know, everyone's very well taken care of, then maybe that goes to charity or maybe that goes to to someone who truly needs that. Or maybe it goes to even if my family's very well taken care of by the assets I've built throughout my lifetime, maybe that's money that goes to them to offset estate taxes they may have to pay. So life insurance is critical. And that has really come, you know, in locking in that, that rate early has really hit home for me this year. So earlier this year, 
I found myself not feeling very well, and I found myself in the hospital, in the emergency room. And, you know, the short story is, like, everything was fine. It was just, you know, a a very mild, you know, stomach situation, and it, it was not critical. But they did tell me, Peter, you need to follow up with your doctor because your blood sugar is very high. Now, that could just be blood sugar elevates, you know, when your body's under stress, you're in the emergency room. So that could be what this is from. But you need to go have it checked out. And so I did. And my blood sugar was really high. And essentially, you know, and like I'm not a doctor, obviously, but essentially they're like, Peter, you're diabetic. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, I haven't taken care of myself that great in the past few years, you know. But I didn't think I was going to become diabetic. So this is like a big shock to me, right? And so I immediately said, I got to change my lifestyle. I got to be better about what I eat. I've got to really, really, really work to solve this because, quite frankly, I work a lot of my life. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm working a lot of my life to enjoy the later part of my life, but what if later never comes because I'm not taking care of myself? So I got to take care of myself. So I did, and I lost a bunch of weight, and I I changed my diet, and I got my blood sugar under control, but that will forever be in my medical records. There's no going back now, right? The blood tests were there. The hospital logged it. You know, even if I were the kind of guy, and I'm not, who would be dishonest on a life insurance application and say, yeah, yeah, no, I've never been diagnosed as a diabetic. They're going to look at my medical records. They're going to order them from the hospital and the doctors. And when they do, they're going to see it. And then my rate's going to go crazy through the roof because, right, I'm a bigger risk. It's not rocket science, but because I locked in life insurance when I was young, I don't have to pay anymore. Now, I'm paying the same amount every quarter that I paid the quarter before because I did the prudent and responsible thing, and I locked in the life insurance rates when I was young and healthy. It just makes sense. It just makes sense. And I would say that this year, I've really... I've really been grateful that people gave me that advice early on because at 36 now, having been diagnosed diabetic, even though, you know, my blood sugar is now perfectly normal and, you know, I've had a track record of having, you know, uh, good blood sugar for for the past, you know, months and months and months, and I I intend to for the rest of my life, that is still going to play an effect if I go and buy more life insurance. And I probably will buy more life insurance at some point in the future. And the only thing I'm going to be saying is, well, thank God I got this other life insurance before because at least I'm not paying more money on all of that. So get as much life insurance as you can while you're young or as much as you can afford. You know, don't the best life insurance policy ever use the one you can afford. You want to keep it active. You want to keep it going. You don't want to be, for lack of a better word, a fool like everyone else who's buying seven life insurance policies in their lifetime and keeping, you know, zero of them in force because then you are just feeding the profits of the insurance company and you're subsidizing lower life insurance rates for the people who are buying policies and keeping them and getting payouts when they do die. So. This is an important lesson. It's an important lesson for young families, right? It's an important lesson for a mom or a dad who's a stay-at-home mom or dad, right? That stay-at-home mom or dad is providing a significant value 
to that household in terms of saved childcare expense. If that spouse were to tragically pass away, how is the surviving spouse going to pay for childcare? I mean, they still got to work, right? They still got to support the kids. They still got to support themselves. They still got to make the mortgage payment. How is that surviving spouse going to add childcare into the budget now? Maybe they can afford it. Maybe they can't. But even if they can afford it and just squeak by and say, you know what? I can afford it. I'm not saving any money now, but I'm not using any of my savings, but I'm just getting by. Is that the situation you want to leave your spouse and your kids and your family in if something were to happen to you? And sadly, I've had clients where I've asked that question very directly and they just, you know, they tell me, Peter, I don't care. I don't care. And you know what? I mean, okay. Uh, They're honest. I mean, you know. I personally wouldn't want that kind of relationship with my family where it's like, oh, I don't care. Whatever happens, what happens them. They'll be fine. And maybe they will be fine. But do you want to have that happen? If you love your – I'm not saying if you love your family, buy life insurance, okay? I'm saying if you love your family, think about what happens if you're not here to provide for them. And just think about that for a minute and say, okay. That's serious. I understand that. That's something I don't want to happen. I love my family. I want to make sure they're taken care of. And what are my options? My options are is I can work as much as possible, as hard as possible, and save as much money as possible. Or I can set aside a little bit from our budget to buy life insurance. And I think that is definitely the prudent approach. It's an approach that, as I've told you, I've done in my own personal life. It's an approach that makes sense to do. It's an approach that benefits your family should something happen to you. And let's remember, right? You know, life insurance, everyone will be surprised to learn this, right? Life insurance is used primarily by middle America, but it's used very much by wealthy Americans, the wealthiest of Americans, because they have huge tax bills should something happen to them, because they have assets and they're in a taxable estate range, which means when they die, when they transfer those assets to their spouse or kids, after a certain point when they're transferring it between generations, there becomes taxes due. And if those assets are a family business that isn't liquid, that's not money in the bank, right? That's a business that's worth money because it generates money, but it's not worth money because it's just like cash in a bank account. How You have to what? How do you pay the estate tax bill? Do you sell the business? Do you take a loan against the business? No, people, companies, families, sophisticated organizations buy life insurance to transfer that burden from the family to the insurance company. They pay for it, right? They pay a little bit every month or every year or every quarter, but they're transferring that burden from themselves to the insurance company in exchange for the premium paid. So now we need to look at the people who really need life insurance the most, right? I mean, those people need it too, no doubt. But, you know, if they had to sell the company or they had to liquidate, you know, real estate to, to pay the tax, they're still okay, right? They're the wealthiest, let's just call them 5% of the country. They're, they're not going to miss any meals, let's be honest. It's not going to be the best situation for them, no doubt, but they're not going to miss any meals. What I'm saying is middle America 
needs to get serious about this. And the biggest disservice that the industry, the insurance industry, has done for middle America when it comes to life insurance is they've offered employer-paid life insurance policies. And let me tell you, it's a great added benefit, but it is a false sense of security, in my opinion. Sure, if something happens to you, the policy's paid out. But here's why it's a false sense of security. Oftentimes, you cannot transfer that policy with you when you leave the employer. That rate is not locked in every year. Your employer doesn't have to offer you that coverage next year. They could say, you know, we're not offering life insurance anymore. It's just too much of an administrative burden or we don't want to pay for it anymore. We, even if we transfer all the premium to you, we, it's just, we're not doing it. Or my company got bought out by a bigger company. They don't offer it. Or my company got bought out by a smaller company. They don't offer it. Or what's happened recently, right? We're in an economy that's getting you know, is on the precipice of recession or in a recession, depending on who you ask, businesses go out of business. What if your employer goes out of business? Then what happens? Do you have that life insurance anymore? Probably not. Maybe, but probably not, depending on the plan. So it is, in my opinion, a false sense of security because you think it's going to be there with you forever. And it's not. It's not. They're big companies, huge companies, even an insurance company that told its retirees, and I think I've talked about this on a previous episode of this podcast, but if I haven't, I'll tell you now, Allstate Insurance Company, you're in good hands, right? They had told their retirees that they will have a fully paid up life insurance policy until they die as a lifelong benefit of being an Allstate employee. Well, that's what they told people. Turns out the plan documents were worded very differently. It was the subject of some very contested litigation. And at the end of the day, right, those people, they don't have life insurance policies anymore. Now, many of those people had now established medical conditions, were now much older than they were when they started working for Allstate. So what has really happened in that situation is a disservice to those people. Yeah, I mean, sure, if someone happened to die during the period of time where they had insurance, they're going to get paid out, and that's great, and I think that is the benefit to these plans, but the downfall is the false sense of security. You need to go out. You need to make sure you have your own life insurance policy. You need to make sure you're the one that pays the bill so you know it's always paid. You need to make sure that your spouse, your loved ones, your attorney, your best friend know that you have it so they know to collect on it when something happens to you. And even if they don't know about it, the states, uh, state insurance departments, now most of them have websites where you can go to and you could submit an inquiry if, you know, this person had life insurance on them uh, when they died. So you, you know you can get the money and collect the check. But it's important for you to take responsibility for yourself. And yes, I would tell you, look at the employee portion of the policy as an added benefit and as a nice extra. And I don't say this because I want to make a ton of money off you selling life insurance. Candidly, I don't think I've sold life insurance in a long time. And that's not the purpose of me doing it. The purpose of me doing this is the personal situation that's happened to me this year and that what people told me 10 years ago happened to me, right? I developed a medical condition that will now make my life insurance cost more if I didn't already have it. That happened to me. This isn't a sales pitch. This is not something to say, see, I told you so. This is something to say, see, I learned an important lesson here from somebody else that taught me 
And it's beneficial. It's beneficial. It's critical. It's critical. Now, you may say, Peter, I don't have a family. I don't have anyone that relies on me for income. So why would I get life insurance? And I'm going to go back and tell you just to rewind this podcast and start it over. Because if that's your question right now, you haven't been listening, honestly. The reason you need it is to lock in the lower rate today. Because you don't have anyone depending on you today. That doesn't mean you won't have someone depending on you five years, 10 years, one year, right? Maybe next year. It only takes nine months for a baby to be born. So it could be less than a year. You've got someone depending on you now. It's important. Do you want that person to be in a financially stressed situation if something happens to you? I would tell you, and I would venture to guess, that if you love them and you truly care about them, the answer is no. The answer is you don't want that to happen. You want to make sure they're okay. They're going to be sad. They lost a loved one. Now, what if they have to move? Okay, someone told me this too a long time ago when I started out in the industry. They said, listen, if there's a young family and a spouse dies prematurely, that person's got it, and they, they don't have life insurance, they don't have substantial savings, and the breadwinner you know, in that household is, is the one that passes away, or maybe if, if they're not, right? The financial dynamics of that household has changed. And what does that usually mean? And when the financial dynamics of a household shift drastically, what happens, right? We got to cut expenses. Or we got to make more money. And oftentimes, the easier thing to do is cut expenses. And what's one of the biggest expenses of any household, right? It's a mortgage payment or rent payment. So if you're going to cut that, you're going to move. What happens when you move? When you move, oftentimes kids change schools. So now your kid has gone through the traumatic experience of losing one of their parents, moving into a new strange house, and going to school with different friends or no friends because they haven't made them yet. Do what's right for your family. Purchase life insurance. Don't purchase more than you can afford. Don't purchase. You can purchase less than you can afford, but purchase what you can afford so you keep the policy active and in force. And the benefit is there should something happen to you. It's critical. It's critical for the survival of the people you love and care about. And again, if you're a non-working spouse listening to this right now, think of the value you bring to the household in terms of saved financial resources, right? Mom or dad's stay-at-home dad. They care for the kids. They drive the kids to school. They cook meals. They clean. They're there for the emotional support of their children, right? These are all critical things. And you can't solve all of those with life insurance. Life insurance isn't going to bring mom or dad back. But it will make sure that the rest of the important things in that child or spouse's life can stay consistent. They don't have to move because they don't don't have a drastically different financial situation. They don't have to change schools because of that. You know, if they're going to private school, they can keep going to private school. They don't have to go to a different school because the money and the resources are there for them. That is the purpose of life insurance, okay? And to be honest with you, I think that's an important lesson too for the insurance industry and the insurance professionals out there. You are in a career, in an industry, where you can bring significant financial stability to a family in a time in a time that is not ever going to be more tragic, the most tragic time of that family's life. Be smart, 
Get it early. Don't screw around. Don't put it off. We've heard every excuse in the book. I'm afraid of needles. I don't want to go get a blood draw. Okay, guys, let's let's just be honest. Those are excuses. That's all they are. Get them out of your head. Commit to it and do it. It is critical. Also, another fascinating thing I learned and... Um, I want to talk about this just for a quick second, and this will be the end of this. This little final thing I'm going to say on this podcast is that I sit on the board of a couple nonprofit organizations, and one of them provides employee benefits to their employees, one of which is life insurance policy. It's small. It's like 25 grand, 50 grand, which is not a huge amount for life insurance policies. And um, at one of the board meetings, um, you know, someone asked a question about one of these expenses, and they asked a question about the employee benefits and the life insurance. And they said, coincidentally, has anyone ever collected on one of these life insurance policies? And the finance director who's been there at the organization for quite some time responded that she believes there was one payout in the time she was there, which may be like in excess of 20 years, I would say. So that goes to show you, are those group benefit policies paying out? No. Think about it. Why are they so cheap? Why are they so inexpensive? Because they're not being paid out that much. And, and that's just simple common sense, right? Most people are not dying at 40, 50 during working age. Yes, some people do, and it's tragic, and we're glad there's a benefit for people there. But does that usually happen? No. So that's why this life insurance is very cheap and affordable because it doesn't pay out much. And that's why you should not have the false sense of security that your group or employee benefit life insurance policy is there for. I don't need life insurance. I've got it at the job. Don't say that anymore. Think about that. Think about that. In 20 years, this person said one time they remember the policy paying out for someone who died while they were still employed there. So... Do the right thing. Look into it. If you have questions, call or email me. My contact information is on the podcast page. I'm happy to answer questions. I'm happy to point you in the right direction. This isn't a sales pitch. This is life advice, and it's life advice that I've learned an important lesson from, and I feel it's my duty and responsibility to share it with you, and I, I thank you for listening, and uh, I hope this really sparks at least the beginning of a conversation, a serious conversation between you and your family about the need for life insurance. It's always great having and talking to you and listening uh, and having you listen to these podcasts, and I'm grateful for that. So I appreciate you listening. Reach out with any questions, and we'll talk soon. 